Welcome to the Emancipate Your Mind podcast. I'm your host, Certified Religious Transition and Trauma Recovery Coach, Terry Hales. I help people step out of the shadows of religious fear and shame and embrace their authentic selves with love and empathy. If you're ready to throw off the shackles of learned binary thinking and explore a more nuanced approach to life, this is your playground. Hello and welcome to the Emancipate Your Mind podcast. It has been a really exciting couple of weeks, but especially this past week has been so exciting because this past week, the Emancipate Your Mind podcast joined the Mormon Discussions podcast group. Now, what this means for you is everything's going to stay the same pretty much. If you listen to this podcast on Apple or Spotify or Google Podcasts, it's still going to be in the same place, same format. Everything's going to look the same. If you listen to it on my coaching website, emancipatedcoaching.com, everything is staying the same. The only thing that is changing is my podcast is now going to be housed on the Mormon Discussions group as its source. So if you have been going to Buzzsprout, that will no longer be available. You'll have to go to mormondiscussions.org to listen to the podcast on the website, or you'll have to go to emancipateyourmind.org. So we have our own nonprofit page now for this podcast. So it is part of a nonprofit group that is all about helping people deconstruct from high demand religion, heal, and move forward. Now, what's super exciting about this for me is, A, we're going to be able to reach a much bigger audience much sooner than I had planned doing this all on my own. Second of all, it means I get to collaborate with some really, truly gifted podcasters that actually share a lot of the same values that I have and really have the same vision of helping their listeners connect to their own inner knowing and live lives from that. And so I'm really excited to be able to collaborate with so many people who are so passionate about helping people hear their own voice and live from their own inner wisdom and authority. And this also means that you're going to have more content because I'm going to be interviewing on other people's podcasts. And so there will be additional podcast interviews for you to listen to. I'll be talking about those on my social media pages and in the Facebook group. So lots of exciting things to happen. I actually am way more creative when I get to collaborate with people, which is what this opportunity allowed me to do. So you're going to get a much more informed and excited podcast host, and you're going to have access to many other people who are also deconstructing and doing their own research. So I'm really thrilled about what this means for the future of this podcast and where we're going to go forward. So that's what is going on here. So if you see a few slight changes, that's what has happened. And if you would like to make donations, it is now a nonprofit. You can get tax deductions. Go to mormondiscussions.org or to emancipateyourmind.org. And there, there's a place where you can make donations to the organization that are tax-free. That just allows us to continue to cover the costs of these podcasts, do all of the research we need to do, make sure we have the equipment to bring you the best sound quality possible, and 
to get you the information you need to continue to look at limiting beliefs and indoctrination that is still part of your life, deconstruct that, figure out where you want to go from here, and live a life that is unshackled and feels amazing for you. Speaking of unshackling ourselves, I know this year we have talked so much about narcissism. We've talked about abuse. And last week, Kevin and I, my husband and I, we sat down and we started talking about what a healthy relationship looks like. We got to explore several different things. And I did hear from several of you that were triggered by the last like 10 minutes or so of the podcast because we talked about some of our relationship issues early in our marriage with codependency, abandonment issues, and we didn't really fully get to cover those because of time constraints. So today what we're doing is I'm going to deep dive into what codependency is, how we develop that how religion played a part, and how we begin to heal that because we didn't really cover that whole 20-year period between us coming together as a couple with a bunch of codependent tendencies and then the 20 years of healing, going to therapy, learning how to become more rooted in our own self-worth so that we could meet one another in a way that allowed us both to be individuals and be there for each other. So if you were one of the people that was triggered, whether you contacted me or didn't, take some time and thank your inner knowing. This means that you are becoming more in touch with your inner self and it's letting you know, hey, that doesn't feel good for me. We still have a wound there or there's something about that that feels really angering to me or very unsafe to me and that gets to be okay. And again, remember, you're your own authority. So I'm going to present things from my point of view, but you don't have to agree with me. You get to think something different. So this is just a discussion, a discussion starter. And you get to take what works for you and always, always, always leave what doesn't work for you. Kevin and I are still learning and growing, which means we still have subconscious beliefs that we may not even be aware of. You might be aware of them. You might hear them and think, oh my gosh, that's not for me. Or maybe they still have some work they need to do there. And that is okay. And it's a conversation starter. We don't have to be perfect people to talk about healing. So open yourself up. Give yourself lots of congratulations for your inner wisdom, cueing you into your triggers. And allow yourself to hear what your inner wisdom is trying to say to you. Listen for what feels good. Keep that. What works for you gets to stay in your life. And whatever doesn't feel like it's for you, let it release. And if you feel like you want to say something about your trigger, by all means, please contact us. Please communicate with us. I love hearing about your experiences, your thoughts. When you communicate with me, I grow. Both of us grow. It becomes a way for you to practice showing up as all of yourself and it gets to be a way for you to really build that self-trust and the same for me. It allows me to hear your ideas, expand my thinking, continue to look at the things that I feel like I've learned from different viewpoints and all of us benefit. So please, by all means, if you hear something and you're like, that doesn't feel right to me or... I think you still have some healing to do there, 
or whatever it is that you want to say, by all means, you are welcome here. We are equals. Share with me. I want to hear from you. I love that one of you actually sent me a message this past week and said, hey, I'm confused when you and your husband were talking about some of your early issues in marriage and you were talking about your abandonment issues, I could feel that in myself. I am so worried about people leaving me. And they said, when your husband couldn't promise that he would never leave you, that felt really triggering. This person said, that doesn't feel healthy. Shouldn't he have promised you he would never go anywhere so that you would feel safe? I'm confused because your relationship seems healthy now, but that line really didn't feel healthy. And so that is what this podcast is all about. We're going to get into that. So no, to answer this person's question, our relationship 20 years ago was not healthy. I want you to understand that when Kevin and I came together, we both had attachment issues from our families of origin that were exacerbated by our membership in a high-demand religion. So we both had insecurities, and we both had abandonment wounds, and we both had self-worth issues that really made it where we depended on one another to fill gaps that we either were incapable or unwilling to fill ourselves. And in the past episode, we really didn't properly cover how we got from that place of codependence into a mostly healthy, interdependent place because of the time constraints. And I'm saying mostly because when you have attachment issues— I don't know that those ever completely go away. What happens is you become aware of them. You start to see how they're showing up in your relationships. And as you become more aware, what happens is we become better at spotting them when they're in action. And we get better at taking responsibility, showing up and working through them. So Kevin and I are still recovering codependence. We are still working towards healthy interdependency. And I would say 80% of the time, we do a really good job, but there's still 20% of the time where I might get triggered and my insecurity might come out or where he might feel especially vulnerable and his insecurity comes out. So just know if you're in a codependent relationship, as we're going through today, if you hear yourself in what we're talking about, know that first of all, you're not broken and you're not doomed. Second of all, if things are really unhealthy in your marriage and you're both willing to work on it, you can get healthier. You can create a healthy interdependent partnership. It is possible to change at any point in your relationship. Now, the longer you've engaged in patterns, the more deeply those neural pathways are kind of carved into your brain. And maybe the longer and more effort it might take to change those neural pathways, but our brains are plastic. And because our brains are plastic, it means we as people are plastic. And because we as people are plastic, that means our relationships are plastic. None of our relationships are doomed to fail if both partners are willing to work together to create those neural changes, to try new patterns, to spot the old patterns, and to work together. Does this take a lot of effort? Oh my gosh, it takes so much effort. Is it worth it? It is worth it. 
It's so worth it. So the safe space we've created right now, like even just earlier, I was able to explain to Kevin that I was feeling overwhelmed. There's a lot going on right now with the Russian invasion, with the things happening in Texas and Florida that are invalidating LGBTQ people and trans youth. It can be scary and overwhelming. And, you know, add on top of that, being a mom, being a wife, keeping a house clean, um, dealing with my own mental health after two years of pandemic, being in the middle of winter and craving sunshine and warm weather, just all of these things, right? It can really overwhelm us. And in a healthily interdependent marriage, it's so nice after you've done the work to be able to spot in yourself, I'm not doing okay to reach out to your loved one and say, this is what I need. Is that something you can provide for me right now? And so to be able to say, I just need to cry and I need someone to hold me while I cry. Can you do that for me right now? Because I am a basket of emotions and I really want to record my podcast and I don't want to bring all of this with me. Can you just hold me while I cry? And he said yes, but he also had the option to say no. If he had said no, I would have found another way to meet my needs. You know, did I need a heating pad and a warm blankie? Did I need to create myself a little nest? Did I need to call my sister? Was there someone else I could turn to in order to get my needs met? Because I can trust myself to get those needs met. That's what healthy interdependency is. Whereas 20 years ago, I would have expected him to intuit that need, to know what was going on inside of me, to then read my mind and then provide me with what I needed. Now as a healthily interdependent person, 80-ish percent of the time, I can notice something is not okay inside of me. I feel a lot of emotions. I can identify what those emotions are. I can intuit what my body needs. I really just want to cry. That's what my body wants to do. But I really want to feel loved and safe too. Is that something that you can provide for me? And giving him permission to check in with himself and see if he has the emotional resources to do that for me or if I need to turn to another trusted person that I've built a healthy interdependent relationship with to hold me in my vulnerability and allow me to cry and be human. Now, I want you to know I had zero healthy relationships 20 years ago. None. All of my relationships were codependent to one degree or another. And doing this work has allowed me first to heal my relationship with myself and then to heal my relationship with my spouse and with my kids. And then more recently with my mother to a certain degree and with my sister. And I have no doubt that as I continue to practice these skills and build those neural pathways, I'll be able to expand out and create an even bigger community of healthy relationships for myself. And you can too. So today, we're going to really get to the meat of what codependency is. There will be parts that will be painful. You may be triggered. Remember, when you're triggered, listen to that part of yourself validate your emotions. Let them know that they are welcome to speak to you and do whatever you need to do to 
give yourself safety and love and acceptance and empathy as you explore those things. Because the more we can accept our emotions, the more we can accept what we're experiencing and validate that, the more it will communicate with us and actually help us move through the codependency. That is a key step towards moving through this pattern that we developed usually early, early, early as very small children. So today I'm actually going to be drawing a lot from a few different resources If you want to learn more about this, I highly recommend the book Codependent No More by Melanie Beattie. And just be aware if you're deconstructing from high demand religion and you don't identify with Christianity anymore, if you're an atheist or a Buddhist or, you know, anything like that, you may find her book a little bit triggering in parts because she does reference Jesus. So I felt triggered while I was reading it for sure. But I also found some really great ideas, and she explained things really well. Just know there's not going to be any perfect resource out there. Remember, we're not going to completely overlap with anyone's ideation. That includes me. That includes any book you read. So you're going to take in information and really get clear with yourself. What parts of this really resonated with me, and what parts do I want to throw out? For me, I threw out a whole lot of the dependency on a higher power and a whole lot of the like Jesus rhetoric and the idea that you had to go to an AA program for codependency. So just know that when you're reading Melanie Beattie's book, it is a fabulous resource and there may be parts that are a little triggering that you are allowed to just throw out and that's totally fine. The other one that I really liked was You're Not Crazy, You're Codependent by Jeanette Elizabeth Mentor. And also, she talks about an AA program for codependents, and I actually don't like AA programs for codependents, but other people find them very, very helpful. I also pull ideas today from life coaches Lisa Romano and Stephanie Lynn, both of whom have fabulous YouTube channels. You can look up all kinds of things about narcissistic abuse, codependency, just really some incredible resources. And so none of these four people do I agree with 100%, but that is good. That means I'm retaining my individuality, which is part of healing codependency in the first place, and I'm keeping what works for me and throwing out what doesn't. Sometimes I read resources that I only keep 20% of and I throw out 80%. And other times, like with Brene Brown, as you know, I keep 90% and I throw out 10 But I never fully match up with anyone else because I am not anyone else. I don't think exactly the same as anyone else. And that gets to be okay. In fact, that is, that is healthy. That's something that we should be celebrating. All right, so what is codependency? As I was reading through, there were so many different definitions, which I think is what makes it a little bit difficult to study this. When we very first started learning about codependency in the 1940s, it started off as a study of people who were addicted to substances and their family members. They started noticing these kind of qualities where someone would get sober And then their spouse or partner would pull them back into the addiction eventually. There was some sort of dance going on between the addicted partner and then the partner that was the caretaker. Now we know that caretaker or enabler role now as the codependent. 
And we apply it now to a much broader spectrum of relationships, not just to people who are in relationships with those who are numbing with drugs, alcohol, sex, or any of those sorts of things. So some of the definitions that came up were looking to others for approval and a sense of identity because we don't have a sense of self. So when we're lacking a deep connection with ourself, we often look outside of ourselves for people to validate our worth and for people to give us an identity. It's often when we're detached from our sense of self, often through big life transitions that we become really susceptible and vulnerable to cults, whether those are political cults or self-help cults or educational cults, because we're lacking that sense of self and we're looking outside of us for someone to tell us who we are, to give us an identity and to help us feel secure again. Another definition I found is a dysfunctional relationship in which one person is the caretaker and the other person takes advantage. So there's a giver and a taker usually in a codependent relationship. Another definition was a relationship in which one partner needs the other partner and the other partner needs to be needed. So again, that giver and taker relationship where there's one person that is needy and the other person needs to be needed. So one person's pouring into the other one and the other one is just, you know, lapping that up. Another psychologist said, not knowing where you end and another person begins. So again, not having that defined sense of self, not knowing what is me and what is you. But perhaps my favorite definition is this one. It's an addiction to the approval and validation of others, even at the detriment to our own sense of emotional, mental, or physical health. And this definition is probably why there are AA programs for codependence, because what is happening is because we don't have that defined sense of self, because we don't trust ourselves to know what we're thinking or what we want or what we feel, and we don't feel like we're capable of handling our big emotions, and we might not feel worthy of love and belonging because of our childhoods and the messages we picked up from our childhoods. We are addicted to having people validate us and fill that gap inside of us because we're wired to belong. We're wired to be loved. Love is one of the basic needs on Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We need love to survive. We need it. And so when we have that emptiness inside of us, when there's that gap, we go out and we seek for people to validate our existence, to see us, to witness us, to love us. And we will do anything to get that. And like all addictive behaviors, codependency acts as a numbing device to help us escape that emptiness or that self-loathing we feel inside of ourselves. So it becomes this kind of compulsive, vicious cycle. What happens is I feel empty and numb inside, so I go out and I seek that validation. I seek that praise. I seek that sense of being needed, of having a purpose. And then what happens is when we get it, we get that hit of dopamine, and it feels good for a minute. And we light up inside, and for a brief moment, we forget the emptiness. We forget that feeling of being lost. We forget that feeling of self-loathing. We feel good for a minute. But like junk food or a drug, eventually the effects wear off. 
And because that isn't coming from inside of us, it's not this everlasting well of enoughness. We go out and we seek it again, and it becomes this vicious cycle of we need other people to give us our hit of dopamine so that we don't have to deal with the emptiness and the self-loathing inside of ourselves. Now, eventually, we always have to pay the piper. Eventually, we can't get enough of praise from other people where we can escape that feeling of self-loathing. It's like we need bigger and bigger and bigger doses of that, and that's where we get into narcissistic behaviors. That's actually how the narcissism starts to be created, is we can't tolerate that emptiness, we can't tolerate that feeling of self-loathing, and so we need bigger and bigger and bigger hits of validation, of praise, of worship almost of people needing us, of feeling like we're so valuable to the world. And we need all these people because one person can't fulfill all of those needs, right? We need all these people in order to fill that big gap. And the hit just has to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And so that's when we start getting into the narcissism, right? And again, this is why there are AA programs for codependency is because it really does become an addictive behavior and it can become really compulsive and really problematic to the detriment of other parts of our life. It can lead to depression. It can lead to anxiety. It can lead to all kinds of dysfunction. So just know that it makes sense that you are looking outside of yourself if you're identifying right now as, oh my gosh, I think I might be codependent, or if you feel that way as we go through this episode, just know it makes sense that you develop this pattern. You develop this pattern to get your needs met. You grew up in an environment where this may have felt like your only way to get your emotional needs met, and you needed that love and belonging to develop and survive into adulthood. So you weren't wrong. For creating these patterns, but they just might not be serving you anymore. And I think that really leads us into the next section where we talk about what the symptoms of codependency are. These patterns may have really served us when we were children, but over time, the longer we have participated in these patterns, they may have created some really harmful results in our life. And it might look like some of this. You might have really low self-esteem or self-worth. You might find that you're a people pleaser and you might obsess about what others think of you. You might be a perfectionist and you're always trying to earn validation and love through being perfect or quote unquote good. You might be an overachiever and you really try to earn praise and validation through what you achieve. So you're never satisfied with your achievements. You're constantly pushing for more and more achievements to get that dopamine hit. You might have low or no boundaries. You might struggle to say no. You might feel a need to fix others. So you might feel like the mop and broom for everyone else's life. You're the fixer. And what I think is so interesting when I read this is when I became a life coach, I took this whole program to get certified and over and over again, they kept saying, you have to manage your fixer. Because I think so many of us with codependent tendencies, we often have a lot of empathy. We're really good at reading others. We really like that feeling of being needed and 
We get a dopamine hit from helping change other people's lives. And so I think a lot of life coaches, I definitely am a recovering codependent. So is it any wonder that we're often really magnetized to callings like therapy or nursing or coaching or any other kind of helping field where we take care of others? Many of us were conditioned to be caretakers to get our sense of validation and self-worth. And so I found it so interesting that they said one of the hardest things I would have to do as a life coach is to manage my fixer. And don't you know, I notice occasionally that my fixer will come out to play. It'll hear someone's problem and I will sometimes catch myself mid-sentence trying to fix the problem for the person instead of guiding them to help them fix themselves. That's okay. So many of us want to fix the person's problem. We want to have all the answers. We want those accolades. We want to feel needed. And so just noticing that, validating that, and then releasing it because it isn't serving me, it isn't serving my client, is very, very helpful. So recognize in yourself if maybe there's a part of you that feels like you're supposed to fix your spouse, your kids, your parents, your siblings, your friends, and anyone else in your community that you come across. Notice if you're a fixer. Neglecting your own wants and needs. How many people listening to this podcast, my hand is up high, have ever given, given, given relentlessly to other people without taking the time for ourselves to rest, to relax, to take care of our own needs, Who here has ever forgotten to eat because you've been so busy taking care of your family or people at your workplace? Who here has ever forgotten to go to the bathroom and then when you finally got a quiet moment, realized your bladder was about to burst? I have done that before. This happens in the medical field all the time. Women are especially bad at this. We hold it for way too long and it is so bad for us physically. Some of these other symptoms are fear of abandonment, being passive aggressive, you know, getting sarcastic or kind of jokingly hinting at things or, you know, just kind of getting in that under the belt jab without ever really addressing the problem head on. We're often afraid of conflict. We don't want people to be mad at us because if people are mad at us, then they don't like us. And then that means something about us and our self-worth. I know this comes up for so many of us when we are transitioning out of high demand religion. So many of us reveal our codependency, particularly when we're leaving high demand religion, because we're so worried about what everybody else is going to think, who's talking about us behind our back, who's mad at us, who's disappointed with us. Who do we need to fix? How can we explain this in a way where everyone will be happy? I can't tell you the amount of times I've had someone ask me this specific question. How do I tell my parents that I don't believe in whatever the religion is without making them mad? That is a codependent sentence, and it is one I've uttered myself. How do I express my authentic self And control your feelings and make sure you stay happy so that I don't have to address my self-worth issues. Now, if you're feeling called out, you are not. You are in good company. I almost guarantee that every person listening to this podcast is either currently experiencing codependency or has experienced it 
in some degree or another in the past. Because for those of us coming from high-demand religion, codependency was how the whole community operated. So we were actually taught codependency, not just from our families, but our high-demand religions as well. Which is why this topic is on a podcast about high-demand religion, because... We've all been there, or I would say the vast majority of us have been there. If you're listening to this being like codependency, like none of this is resonating. You are a special unicorn and just give yourself some sparkly love because this is one pattern you don't have to break as you deconstruct high demand religion. So high five to you. For the rest of us, though, Some of the other symptoms of codependency might be looking to others to make decisions for you. Who here ever had a hard time making decisions? Like, even to the point where I would sometimes poll friends about what I should do with my hair. It's my hair. It affects no one else. And I would pull them like should I go short should I go long what do you think and I would get like everybody else's opinion about what to do with my hair that my friends is codependency instead of asking myself what do I want what sounds fun I would ask everybody else um same for going to a restaurant how many of you have ever waited to order last so that you could see what everyone else ordered, so that if everyone else got a salad, you got a salad, especially if they got the bread. If everyone reached for the bread, maybe you would feel comfortable reaching for the bread. This is all codependency. It's this idea of I'm not allowed to eat what I want, wear my hair the way I want without other people's approval of what I'm doing. Some of the other things we might do is we might look to others to define who we are, especially those of us coming from cult-like organizations, we got really good at letting other people define ourselves for us. And again, we had our reasons for doing this, and they were valid. And if you're listening to this podcast, my guess is that's just not serving you anymore. Allowing other people to define you isn't making you happy. It's not bringing you fulfillment or joy or peace and you feel really detached from yourself and there are parts that are frustrating for you and that's why you're here. So just know that if you are in the habit of letting other people define you, you can change that. And we're going to talk about that later in the podcast. You may be in the habit of projecting your feelings or needs or wants on others. You may believe that other people feel the way you would feel about something or that they want what you would want. And it may be really confusing for you when you show up for people that way. We kind of talked about this on the last podcast. Kevin was talking about a couple he has where the wife was expecting her husband to show up the way she would want, and she had been showing up that way for him, and he actually really didn't like it. It was actually really uncomfortable for her. So in healthy, interdependent relationships, we just communicate, this is how I would love for you to show up for me. This is what would feel like love for me without then projecting what we want onto them and saying, what would feel like love for you? How do you want me to show up for you? And we respect those boundaries and those individual differences. Another thing we might do is we might never feel like we're enough, especially if we feel like we're supposed to fix everybody's problems. 
Have you ever experienced this? You try to fix, you give people advice, and then they don't take your advice. And it feels like a personal affront because it's almost like they're saying, you know, you're not good enough. Your advice isn't good enough. So just be aware of those times where you feel like you're never enough because we're always trying to control other people as a codependent and manipulate their lives and manipulate. And we do this subconsciously. We're trying to manipulate their lives. We're trying to manipulate their choices. We're trying to manipulate their feelings. And we can't control anyone but ourselves. So of course it leaves us feeling deficient. Of course, because it was never going to work in the first place because we can't control anyone but ourselves. We may have difficulty letting people help us and we may have difficulty asking for help. We have very specific reasons for this. And we might get into this a little bit later in the podcast as well. But in a nutshell, when we are detached from ourselves, we actually don't know what we need help with. Or we might feel ashamed that we need help. Or it just may be overwhelming letting people help us. It, it can be a whole thing letting people help us. And there's trust issues there as well. And then last, we try to control others through our nice or self-sacrificing acts. We almost do a tit for tat. Like, I'm going to self-sacrifice and I'm going to bend over backwards and do all these things for you that I would like done for me. I have no idea if you want them done for you, but I would like them done for me. But then we get really upset and angry when they don't turn around and bend over backwards for us and give us back what we gave to them. And they might give to us in other ways, but it still doesn't feel like it's enough because they're not giving to us what we actually want. And we don't feel comfortable being like, hey, really appreciate you dropping off bunt cake at my house every Sunday, but actually I'm allergic to the carrots in the bunt cake and I don't want the bunt cake. What I would really prefer is if you would just come over and talk with me every Sunday. That would mean so much to me. If we could just have like a 15-minute or 30-minute conversation, I would much prefer your company over the bunt cake. So that's a very specific example. But just know sometimes we get in these patterns of people doing things to show us they love us, but it actually just feels really, really annoying. And we might even get really angry with them because they're not showing up for us the way we're showing up for them. And especially in relationships where both of us are codependent, because that happens really often, like can definitely attract like. If I'm codependent and I'm showing up for you the way I want you to show up for me, and then you're showing up for me the way you want me to show up for you, and both of us can't communicate our needs and our boundaries and our wants because that's not allowed, we're both just going to end up pouring more and more of ourselves into this other person and feeling resentful that we're not getting back what we want. So I might be giving conversation to a person who wants a bunt cake. And that person might be giving a bunt cake when what I really want is conversation. So just be aware that these misunderstandings happen all the time in codependent relationships because we're just really not good at tapping into what we want, communicating it, dealing with possible conflict or hurt feelings, and then being able to care for ourselves as we set boundaries. We're just... 
we weren't taught how to do it. And honestly, it wasn't just in our families. We weren't taught how to do it in our families. And then that was reinforced in our high-demand religions. And so we just were doing what we were taught, and it's become dysfunctional for us. And that's okay. We're recognizing it now, and we can begin to heal it now that it's in our awareness. Now, here are some like really specific behaviors you might observe in yourself if you're codependent. And I'm really digging down into this because the first time I heard codependency coming from a psychology background, I immediately associated that with drugs and alcohol. And if if you're coming from an ex-Mormon background and you have a true believing family, you likely didn't have visible addictions in your family ones that you would have considered addictions, I should say, because there's lots of addictions in Mormon families, and maybe we should do a whole podcast about that. But drugs, alcohol, and sex were like the three things that, you know, we were always told were super addictive and that we should stay away from. Now, you may have had a parent with a sex addiction or, you know, with a pornography addiction because of the shame culture around sex and everything, but likely you didn't know about it. Um, but drugs and alcohol, on the other hand, are a little bit more visible. So when I first heard about codependency, I was like, I don't struggle with codependency because there is no one in my family that's an addict. Now, that is actually not a true statement. I would say we all either had addictions or have addictions of one sort or another, but some of them were more socially acceptable. Some of them were like workaholism or like sugar addictions, where we turned to sugary or high fatty foods and gorged ourselves on those in order to deal with big feelings. Or religious addictions, which is a thing. You can be addicted. It's sort of a codependency with religion, if you will. You give and give and give to the church, and in turn, you get accolades and you get recognized and you get elevated. And so it becomes the sort of addictive cycle as well. So some of these things are addictive behaviors, but they're not really recognized as such. So when I first heard codependency, I was like, I'm not codependent. That's not a thing because I didn't come from a family with any addictions. And that wasn't entirely true. And I had my own addictions at the time. um, And I'm recovering from those addictions. We've already talked on this podcast about my addiction to perfectionism. We've already talked about, you know, we're talking right now about my addiction to other people's praise and validation because I grew up very, very codependent. Um, I was definitely a people pleaser, definitely an overachiever, definitely a perfectionist that looked like workaholism a lot of the time. And so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had addictions. They just weren't things that I had been taught were addictive growing up. So I didn't recognize them. And I learned those in my family of origin. So let's talk about some of these just kind of really specific examples so that if you are codependent, if you self-identify, because no one else can identify for you, oh, you're codependent. Again, if you have somebody coming to you and being like, so you're codependent, It's likely because they're codependent. Remember, codependent people, they try to fix other people. We're really good when we're codependent at spotting other people's problems, but not seeing our own. That is one of them. If you find that you give unsolicited advice or you try to label and fix people without their consent, it's a very codependent behavior. 
especially if you seem to know what's best for everyone else, but you're not really sure what you want to do or what would be best for you. Really great indicator that you might be codependent. Second, you feel personally wounded or deficient if other people don't take your advice. We kind of talked about that earlier and how that can lead to a sense of not enoughness because here you are giving advice and that's how you get your self-worth is by fixing other people. And when they don't take that advice, you take it really, really personally that it means your advice wasn't good enough or that you yourself are not good enough. You tend to be surrounded by people who need things from you and demand your time and energy. I still remember as an active Mormon at one point in my life being surrounded by people who had attached themselves to me who would often ask me for favors to do things for them that they could have easily done for themselves or that I would have done for myself. So someone asking me to go to the grocery store for them when they just didn't feel like going to the grocery store or wanting to constantly talk about a problem that they had no intention to solve. I just felt like I was surrounded at one point by all of these people who didn't want to take any accountability in their life and they just wanted to like dump their problems on me and ask me favors constantly so that they would feel loved. I understand that now. So that they would feel loved and for me, what I was getting from it is I was the nice person. I was the saint, quote unquote, right? I wasn't really a saint because I was feeling all kinds of resentment. I had zero boundaries. I was angry and I was exhausted and I had this kind of poor me attitude, but I was the quote unquote nice person and just bending over backwards for all of these people, but resenting the hell out of them the entire time. So you might find yourself in that position too, where you're surrounded by people that are constantly needing emotional energy from you or needing favors from you or needing you to like come and fix their life. I still remember one of those people in my life at that time, her child threw up and she asked me to come over and clean up the vomit because she was having a gag reflex cleaning up her child's vomit. I have a gag reflex cleaning up my own child's vomit like but I went over and I did that because that was my MO at the time things like that things she could have handled things she could have done but I did them for her I took that problem on as my problem and I became the fixer because that was part of my identity So that might be part of your identity as well. You guys are finding out just how dysfunctional I was, but I'm hoping it makes it feel safer for you to admit to yourself maybe some of these patterns in your own life. If I can just be naked here with you, hopefully you'll feel safe being naked with yourself and beginning to really look at some of these patterns. Because the more safety we can create for ourselves, the more honest we can be with ourselves and the more things we can bring to awareness. And when we bring them into awareness is when we can begin to heal them. So hopefully me being naked here with you allows you to do that for yourself as well. I am feeling a little bit of a vulnerability hangover though. Like I just want to be honest with you. I'm just noticing that. I'm like, wow, I'm really bearing a lot of my dysfunction. So that's something for me to get curious about later. All right, you might be highly sensitive to criticism. So when someone, you know, tells you something that you could do better 
or if they tell you that the bunt cake you're bringing over every Sunday actually is something they're allergic to and and you get really really defensive if that feels like a personal attack when someone says I don't like shredded carrots that's something to get curious about get curious about that and recognize that that might be part of codependency you might be a person that deflects the truth so if you're in a habit of lying for people to cover up their bad behavior or lying for organizations to cover up their bad behavior and you also lie to yourself about how much it affected you or how much it hurt you, it's likely because you don't want to confront the truth. Remember, confrontation feels really bad to a person who is in patterns of codependency because conflict means A person might be upset with us or angry with us. And if people are upset and angry with us, they don't like us. We're not getting that validation and that love from them. And it makes us more likely to feel our self-worth issues. You might find that sometimes you can be really manipulative. If you weren't taught how to directly communicate your needs, you might indirectly hint at your needs, maybe with sarcasm or passive aggression. So if you find yourself hinting to people or dropping sarcastic remarks instead of just point blank being like, hey, when you do that, it hurts my feelings. Or, hey, that's actually a really sensitive topic for me and I don't want to talk about it in public. If you can't say that directly to someone and instead you make sarcastic or kind of prickly remarks to people, that might be an indicator that you have some codependency. You take on way more than you should. You're trying to fix everybody's problems, so you just feel exhausted all the time. You might ruminate. Are you a person that worries about everything? Do you worry about how you worded things in a conversation? Do you worry about what other people think of you? Are you constantly worrying about how you're going to fix somebody else's problem? If you're constantly worrying and cycling those things through your head, it could be an indicator of some codependency. We already talked about having a hard time making decisions, and you might also have a hard time identifying your emotions. Many people who are codependent, because you weren't allowed to have needs because of your childhood, you weren't allowed to have needs, or there were certain feelings you weren't allowed to feel, you likely got out of touch with those. You dissociated. And the problem is, is when you can't identify your emotions, You also can't identify your needs or your wants, and you definitely can't identify your boundaries. So part of healing from codependency is going to be allowing yourself to feel again, to feel those emotions, because that is what's going to help you be able to set your boundaries, which will help you get out of codependency. And last, you may fear intimacy. And this is why. If I'm not in an intimate, connected relationship with myself, I can't intimately connect with anyone else. It feels like there's maybe a pane of glass. There's some separation between my consciousness and who I am inside myself, my inner child, my inner wisdom, whatever you want to call it, my authentic self. Until I know who that person is, I can't be naked emotionally with anyone else. Because I still don't feel safe with me. So I'm going to bring armor to every other relationship. What this is going to do is as I continue this pattern of showing up in my relationships with armor on because I don't feel safe with me is I'm going to attract emotionally unavailable partners or like we were talking about a few minutes ago, I'm going to attract people who have lots of needs 
or who want to be fixed or who want to be taken care of. And I'm just going to do those things because I'm not connected to me. So just know that if you're keeping people at arm's distance, if you have a hard time trusting people, that all makes sense. All right, so how did we become codependent? That's a really good question. Like, how do we start these patterns? So I think that being codependent is a lot more common than we might think, just in our society, not only in high-demand religion, but I think so many of us are raised to be codependent because of generational trauma. A lot of us were raised with parents and grandparents that had generational trauma. And that was passed down to us because we didn't know how to heal trauma. We didn't know how to identify it. And so many of us were raised codependent to kind of tiptoe around the people who had trauma that were raising us. And then we developed our own trauma that we then passed down to our kids, et cetera, et cetera. This codependency, I think, is pretty common. I think a lot of us experience codependency. And I want us to understand that codependency happens on a spectrum. So you may have experienced just a little bit of codependency, and it's really not affecting your day-to-day life. You might hear some of these things that are like, oh, yeah, I kind of do that a little bit in certain situations. Or you might be a person that is completely enmeshed with a family system or with another person or with an organization. When you're enmeshed, you completely lose your sense of self. You have no ability to tap into your emotions. You don't know what you're feeling at any given moment. You don't know what your needs are. You don't know what you desire. And in that space, you only feel like you exist or you're real when you're being used or utilized by other people. And so there's that end of the spectrum as well. Most of us develop codependency because of attachment issues stemming from our early childhood, and we're talking like before the age of three. But some of us do develop codependency later in life because of organizations we belong to or dysfunctional relationships with other people who are codependents. So we may have been raised in a healthy family, gotten married to someone we assumed was healthy, and then ended up in a codependent relationship where we gradually became codependent ourselves. But today we're really going to focus on codependency that comes from early childhood. So you likely became codependent if in your family of origin, your parents were addicts. We've already talked about this. This was the first kind of codependency we became aware of. So if your parents were addicted to drugs or alcohol, sex, work, and even religion, you may have become a codependent person that care took them while they carried out their addiction. Or they may have been codependents themselves and they may have been addicted to validation from others. And so because they were so other focused, it left them depleted and you may have felt like you needed to take care of them and their needs. So you may have also had narcissistic or abusive parents and their needs came first And their feelings and needs were the only ones that mattered in your family. And when that happens, you learn that your needs don't matter. And that your sole purpose, the only way you're going to get love and belonging from that person is to mold yourself as closely as you can to what they want from you and to continue to feed them what they want in order for them to stay happy and for you to escape as much abuse as possible. 
So you may have become codependent as a survival mechanism because you are living with someone who is abusive. Codependency can develop when your parents are emotionally immature. Emotional immaturity is basically when a person is not able to identify and express their emotions healthily. So they might explode in rage. They might suppress emotions. They might go into a depressive funk because they've boxed up so many emotions. They might constantly be anxious. They might criticize you. They might project their emotions onto you. They might be unpredictable. If this sounds like your parent one or both of your parents, you likely develop some codependency because you were trying to manage and control their emotions. You felt responsible for their emotions because it was so unpredictable. And if this is you, I highly recommend a book called Children of Emotionally Immature Parents. It is a fantastic resource. I am not all the way through it yet, but holy crap. I've learned so much from that, and it has been really, really healing from me. And now that I'm recording this podcast, I'm like, I should have used that as a resource for this as well. So it's possible you had emotionally immature parents, even if your parents, let's say 80% of the time, were really emotionally nurturing for you and were really focused on you and gave and were present, but 20% of the time were scary as everything. They erupted in rage or would have really long depressive bouts or would have panic attacks that scared the crap out of you. There are emotional regulations that your parents didn't learn as children, probably because their parents had their own trauma and created codependency in them. And so they were left to try to figure out how to regulate their emotions on their own, and they might not have learned how to regulate them at all. And so they show up in adulthood, they have children, and they pass that on to you. And you become the person that then has to try to tiptoe around and regulate their emotions for them. What this ends up doing to codependent children is it makes us have to step into a caretaking role long before we're ready to do that. And so we feel like our responsibility is to shove down our own emotional needs because our parent can't handle their own emotions, so they definitely can't show up for our emotions. So instead of having emotional needs for ourselves, we shove those down and we do whatever we can, whether it's people-pleasing or perfectionism or overachieving, to keep our parents in a calm, stable state so they don't erupt like Mount St. Helens. We do everything we can to read their facial expressions, read how hard they're walking on the floor, how hard are they shutting those cabinets, you know, what does it sound like while they're cooking? Are they singing and whistling or do they seem a little bit stormy? And we feel like we have to read their mind, we have to read their actions, we have to intuit what they need from us to keep them calm, to keep us safe and to keep our needs getting met, right? So we get into this caretaking role, which is a big part of codependency. Our parents may have been mentally unstable. So your parents may have struggled with mental health issues that left them unable to connect with you in ways that you needed as a child. And again, because your parents were so wrapped up in their mental health, you may have been left on your own to fend for yourself emotionally and maybe even physically. Your parents may have been physically ill. So you may have had parents who just were unable to connect with you and nurture you because of their illness. They were in bed a lot or they were at the hospital a lot. 
or you had a sibling that was ill. And so your parents were pouring all of their time and attention into the sibling or into another parent. And so they weren't emotionally or physically there for you. You may have had absent parents. So you may have had parents that were physically or emotionally absent because of work, religious responsibilities. I can't tell you how many ex-Mormon clients I talk to who talk about feeling abandoned by parents who had very high-ranking callings where they were up at the church all of the time and the kids got carted up there, but they just ran around the church on their own while their parents fulfilled their responsibilities. Um, You may feel abandoned or your parents may have been absent because of death or because of their own trauma. And because of this absence, you may have learned that you couldn't trust others to be there for you or to take care of your needs and that your needs weren't important and that you needed to take care of others in order to continue to keep things running smoothly so that you could get the basics that you need, right? That you would get the food, the shelter, the clothing, and hopefully along the way, some love and acceptance as well. Sometimes whenever we see these dysfunctional patterns in ourselves, we can ask ourselves, what is wrong with me? And I love this quote from Lisa Romano. She says, what is wrong is not you. It's your programming. So if you're noticing all of these patterns, just know you are not broken. You are not wrong. You were taught these patterns as ways to survive and You were just programmed this way because it's what worked with your family of origin and you can heal it. Is it fair that you have to heal it? No. Are we grateful we have the tools to heal it though? That you don't have to live in this hell for forever. A lot of our grandparents and our parents just had to live in this hell. They were raised in these same traumatic ways and they just had to live with it. There were no alternatives to heal. They didn't know how to heal. I feel so grateful that we live in a day and age where we at least have the information where we can heal. I hate that we have to heal. I hate that I've already probably passed some trauma down to my kids because I didn't learn these tools until, I mean, I didn't even start learning about some of these tools until I was in my 20s. There were others I didn't learn until I was in my 30s. And there are some tools I just learned last week. So just being really open with our kids of, hey, I am doing my work. I'm going to be working on this probably my whole life. And I'm still probably going to pass down some of that to you, but I am open to conversation with you. We can have these conflict conversations. I am open to hearing your big feelings. And that's one of the cool things about healing our own codependency is as we heal our own codependency, we create these safe spaces for our kids where they can come and talk to us about trauma. They can come and talk to us about their differing ideas or the things that were difficult for them in childhood. And it doesn't feel like we're being attacked personally. We can actually look at the things that happen and say, yeah, that was not okay. I was doing the best I could at the time, but I can see that that was still harmful and your feelings are valid. And I'm so glad you felt safe enough to tell me. Thank you so much for bringing this to my attention. I love you so much. I have always loved you. I will always love you. And I'm so glad that we're having this conversation so that we can heal this wound together. Like, that is huge. It is a huge thing. None of us are perfect parents, 
but all of us can begin to heal ourselves so that we can show up in ways that create safe space for our kids to talk about their trauma, talk about their problems, and we begin to heal together. And oh, what an incredible gift to give to the generations that come after us. And if you're listening to this and you're in the older generation, if you're in your 60s or 70s or 80s, it is not too late. It's not like you have to have kids at home in order to heal these things. You can open up to your adult kids and say, hey, I think I made some mistakes whenever I was parenting you because I just didn't have the tools. I didn't know any better, but I'm learning that there's a better way and I'd be more than excited to explore that with you if that's something that you'd be open to. And again, part of codependency is going to be allowing the other person to move at their own pace. If you're older and you have kids who are grown, they may have deep wounds and we can't force them to work on those wounds until they're ready. But continuing to let them know I care about you and I am open to talk whenever you feel safe to talk. I want to know you. I want to hear your pain. I want to be accountable and I want to heal together. I did the best I could and I know I still hurt you anyway. And I want to talk about that. I might not have handled it well when you brought these things to me in the past because I was still working through my own wounds and I am still working through my own wounds, but I'm continuing to work on myself to create safe space for both of us so that we both feel safe talking about our experience and our feelings, our differences of opinion, so that we can both see each other and love each other and be there for one another. It is never too late as we heal our codependency wounds, as we heal our self-worth wounds, to turn around the generation after us and say, hey, I've learned something new. And if you're open, I want to create safer space for you. I want you to know that you're welcome here and I want to know you and connect with you. We can't ever force that generation to connect with us, but we can continually invite. And that becomes more possible as we take care of ourselves, right? So if we're reaching out to our kids because we need them to validate that we're a good mom or a good dad, it's not going to work because that's codependency. If we're reaching out and we're dumping our shame about what we did on them and we need them to validate us and there's no room for them to talk about their anger or their hurt or their wounds, it's not going to be healthy and it's not going to feel safe for them. So as the parents, we do our healing. We turn to our kids and we say, hey, I'm healing. I'm taking care of me. We bring our shame to our therapist. We bring our guilt to our kids. So I can say, I feel really bad that I spanked you whenever you were two. Or I feel really bad that I didn't know how to handle anger when you were a young child and I shamed you for feeling anger because I felt shame about my own anger. We can bring those things. That's guilt. Like, hey, this is what happened and I feel bad about that. Are you willing to talk about that? Because I'm learning new things and I want to create safe space for you. But if we're coming to our kids and we're saying, I'm the worst mom ever, I'm learning new stuff, and I did this, 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 and this, and I just feel so terrible about myself, and you just make it all about you because you need them to validate that you're a good person, we're just perpetuating codependency. So make sure 
that when you're creating that safe space for your kids, that you're bringing your shame to your therapist or your coach, and you're bringing your guilt to your kids. Guilt is accountability. Shame is still in that place of fragility, of I'm a bad person, and I can't hear your pain because it's going to make me feel worse. I'm actually going to get defensive. I'm going to cut you off, and I'm going to make you feel less safe because I feel so attacked. So really fill into that. It's a fine line, but is it, this is what I did and I feel really bad. I'd really love to hear how that affected you and you feel like you are stable enough to handle whatever it is they have to say, or is it, I need you to validate me that I was a good parent. Check those motivations. This can help with our parenting in so many ways. I was actually going to talk about how religion sort of reinforces these, and I might go through it really, really quickly. But just know that if we're in high-demand religions, there are Bible verses and ideas in both Christianity and Christian-based religions that support this idea that others always come before the self, that we're not supposed to think very highly of ourselves, that we're supposed to make ourselves small, that we're not supposed to say no or have boundaries, that we're just supposed to give continuously and we're never supposed to grumble about it or feel resentful about it. And there's even this idea that we're not supposed to trust ourselves. And all of those ideas, I mean, I have lists of scriptures here in front of me, but Just know, I'm sure you have scriptures that come to mind of times you were told others always come before the self, or you can't trust yourself, or you're not allowed to say no, or you need to turn the other cheek. Don't go anywhere. Don't set a boundary. Just give them access to hurt you again. Now, not all people interpret these scriptures that same way, but they can be interpreted that way. They can be interpreted in harmful and codependent ways. So just know there may be things in your high demand religion that maybe at some other point we'll delve into deeper, but we just, I don't want to give you a four hour podcast. Um, And I really want to get into the healing part of this. So just know that's something to sit with and Really get curious about what were the things in your religion that taught you not to trust yourself or to give without boundaries or to really diminish the way you felt about yourself, to become very self-deprecating and to focus on your faults instead of your victories. And were there any times that you were told to put everyone else before you? Just something to get curious with. And perhaps in the future, I will do a podcast specifically on religion and codependency because there's a lot to unpack there. I mean, even the idea that Jesus came down, took on himself our sins, gave his life for us is a very codependent idea. He made our problems his problems. He paid the ultimate sacrifice for our problems. He gave his life up 
which in some ways is what many of us are taught to do, that we're supposed to give our lives continually in service, not think for ourselves, only God's will to be done, not our own, and we give and give. We lay down our life in the service of others. We take on other people's problems to fix them, and we make them our own. So this whole idea of Christ taking on our sins— Laying down his life to fix those sins is a codependent idea from a psychology standpoint. I mean, it's a really romantic idea, but it's also a very unhealthy idea that anyone should feel responsible to fix the problems of another person and would take it on so much that they would kill themselves to fix the problem or would lay down their life, whether it's on the cross or whether it's living an entire life where you don't have a self in order to fix other people's problems is problematic and unhealthy. All right, so to start healing, we've already kind of talked about some of these. The first one is going to be to learn to listen to your feelings and your needs and your thoughts. As you learn You have a right to feel what you feel. There are no right and wrong emotions. They're all valid. They all deserve to be heard with love and understanding. You are not being too needy. You're not being overly dramatic. You're not being selfish. Your feelings and needs matter. And you can begin to listen to and validate yourself the way you deserve to be listened to and validated as a child. And it all starts with just recognizing your emotions, giving them space to speak, allowing yourself to feel them, validating that those emotions are there and they have a purpose and they make sense understanding the circumstances. It doesn't matter if those emotions make sense to you or not. They're there for a reason. So you may have come from a family where you had to have a concrete purpose for feeling what you feel. And if that was part of the root of your codependency, give yourself permission to feel everything without having a purpose for it. And just be like, you are welcome. I feel sad. I don't know why I feel sad, but I feel sad and I'm here for you and I am feeling my sadness. I'm honoring it. I'm validating it. It's okay that I feel sad. And when it's ready to tell me why I feel sad, I am open to hearing that. I'm here to listen and to see you, sadness. I appreciate you showing up. Thank you for speaking to me. Making that safe space for our feelings is going to go a long way towards creating safe space for our relationships with others. Second, give yourself what you need to feel safe, loved, and happy. So breaking the bonds of codependency means beginning to take responsibility for yourself because codependency is actually off, like putting off responsibility on someone else for our validation and our happiness and our safety. We say, I will sacrifice myself for you. And in return, I expect you to take care of my problems. That's really what we're wanting. But... Breaking the bonds of codependency means now you are responsible for you. And this means your happiness, your peace, your safety. 
When you learn that your stuff is yours to care for, it makes it easier to begin to realize that others have the ability to care for themselves. You start to create a sense of self. This is me, and that is you. This is what I'm responsible for, and that's what you're responsible for. And it is so needed to have this is myself, and that is yourself. Those lines drawn are so important for healthy interdependent relationships. We cannot be in healthy relationships with people when we don't know where we end and you begin. As long as there's that nebulous border between me and you, then I'm going to take on your stuff and I'm going to expect you to take on my stuff. So we're really creating that sense of self by taking responsibility for our needs. So we listen to our emotions first and then our emotions speak to us. The way we do it is we recognize our emotions. Our emotions have physiological responses and we recognize, oh, I'm feeling angry. And then we sit with our anger and we ask it questions. Tell me what you're angry about. And we listen to our thoughts. Our thoughts are going to tell us what we need to feel safe and loved and happy. What boundaries do we need to set? What violations have happened in our life? What people are driving us crazy and why? What organizations are we a part of that are no longer serving us? You know, what PTA responsibilities or scouting responsibilities or community responsibilities do we have that we hate? Our emotions are going to lead us to those thoughts as we get curious with ourselves and create safe space for ourselves to think and to sit with those emotions. And as we do this, it makes it easier to detach from other people's problems, opinions, beliefs, and even their feelings. It is easier when I know that my stuff is my stuff to let your stuff be your stuff. It's okay because I know that I'm allowed to feel angry and I'm allowed to need boundaries and I'm allowed to believe and value what I want. And as I validate those things and listen to those things and provide myself with what I need, guess what? It now becomes much easier to let you be angry if you're angry or disappointed. It's okay for me to let you think whatever you need to think about me because I have my own back. I'm going to love me. I'm going to accept me. I'm going to validate me. So if you need to hate me or be disappointed in me or judge me, it's going to be uncomfortable, but I know I'm going to handle it because I've got my own back. So you get to have your own feelings. And it's way easier for me to let you deal with your own problems because I understand that's your stuff because I now clearly understand what is my stuff. Now, granted, this all takes practice. There are times that you're going to pick up somebody else's baggage on accident. It's just like being at the airport. You're at that little rotation thing. And sometimes you're not clear what your bag looks like. And sometimes you pick up somebody else's bag. When that happens, just recognize it. Whenever you recognize it, put it back on the carousel. Let them handle it. So sometimes you'll find yourself ruminating over a problem and you'll catch your consciousness going, actually, that's not my issue. That's not my problem. That's somebody else's problem. And all of this is part of healing. Remember, we have these deeply carved neural pathways, and it's going to take a little time to start recognizing what baggage is ours and what is not. 
which feelings are ours and which ones are not, which opinions are ours and which ones are not, and to really sort through what our needs and values are and what are other people's. And so as we sort through that, we get better and better. With practice, you're going to get better at hearing yourself, holding safe space for yourself, owning your own safety and happiness and peace, and then allowing other people to be themselves through detaching. Now, when I say detaching, a lot of people think of cancel culture, and that is not what I'm talking about at all. Detachment is not cancel culture. Detachment is understanding I only have control over my stuff. It doesn't mean that I quit caring about your life. It doesn't mean that I quit caring about your happiness or your peace. I can sincerely want you to be happy and understand that I can't make you happy. I can sincerely want your success and understand that I can't make you successful. I can sincerely empathize with your pain while understanding I can't fix your pain for you. That's what detaching is. Detaching is understanding what is yours and what is theirs so that you can show up and say, I care for you. I want to hear about what's going on for you. I want to support you without taking their baggage or taking their stuff and putting it on your pile as something you need to deal with, which is going to exhaust you and make you resentful and make you angry. This allows you to continue to show up in empathic, compassionate ways without drowning. This is the way that we're able to stay with people that we deeply care about who maybe have issues or problems and to continually be there and say, I am here and I support you and I love you as you fix your problems. If you need ideas, you need brainstorming, you need just someone to to listen to you, I'm here for that. And I'm here to witness you as you fix your stuff. So for many of us who have family members who have big issues with us leaving our faiths or changing our belief systems or dyeing our hair bubblegum pink or, you know, wearing the booty shorts or marrying the guy instead of the girl. When our families have those problems, understanding that that is theirs to work through and we can still show up and say, I love you and I want to connect with you and I want you in my life and these things are yours to work on. They're not mine to work on. These are your issues. I'm here to take accountability for my part. I'm here to listen to your experience, but I'm not here to fix your problems for you. It's really difficult in codependent families. I'm making it sound really easy and cut and dried. It's really messy. Our families are likely used to being codependent. They're used to you taking on everyone else's problems. They're used to you being the fixer. They're used to, if you've watched Encanto, they're used to you being Louisa, who carries all the heavy burdens. Or they're used to you being Isabella, who is perfect and makes everything bloom and look pretty and puts on that mask for the family. They might be used to that, but that doesn't mean You are stuck there simply because that's what makes them comfortable. You get to expand into who you have evolved to be. And that might bring up issues for them or wounds for them. It might make them have to look at baggage 
for the first time that they haven't wanted to confront and you can empathize with the fact that that's probably painful and it's difficult and it is still theirs to deal with. It is not yours to deal with. All right, the next step is going to be to build self-trust. And really, we just talked about what that looks like. It's allowing yourself to feel feelings without judgment and with curiosity. It is giving yourself what you need to feel safe and happy and at peace. And it is reminding yourself that what's mine is mine and what is theirs is theirs. On TikTok, I keep seeing the not my circus, not my monkeys, not my circus, not my monkeys, not my circus, not my monkeys. And that is exactly what this is. It is knowing I can trust myself to take care of my stuff and to give other people's stuff back to them with practice. We're all likely codependent because we were abandoned either physically or emotionally during our childhoods. When we don't trust ourselves to hold and validate our emotions and needs and give ourselves what we need to feel safe, loved, and happy, we'll tolerate relationship junk food from others because we're starving. We decided, I'll do everything I can to make sure no one ever leaves me again. So those of us with the abandonment wounds, when we haven't built self-trust yet, you'll know that you still haven't built self-trust because you tolerate behaviors from others so that they won't leave you. We might put up with abuse, neglect, letting people walk all over us, or violate and dictate our boundaries. These things may sort of patch up the hunger that we have inside of ourselves for love and belonging for a time, but they leave us wanting in the long run. The more we show up for ourselves, the more we begin to patch up those holes in ourselves with self-trust. The more we know we can rely on ourselves to meet our needs, to fill that hunger, to keep ourselves from needing that validation from others. Now, As you heal codependency, it is still going to feel nice when people compliment you. It's still going to feel nice when people recognize your achievements, but it's not going to feel like something you need to survive. It's going to feel like the cherry on top, not the whole Sunday. Next is setting boundaries. It is so important to be able to set boundaries when we're in codependent relationships because codependency really is not knowing where I end and where you begin because there are no boundaries. There is no sense of self and boundaries give us that sense of self, of who we are. And they're necessary for us to build trust with ourselves, but also with other people. We can't have intimate relationships with other people if we don't know what's okay and what's not okay. I love something that Melanie Beattie said. She said, whenever we people please, whenever we lie about what we want and what we need and what we feel in order to please someone else, she said, we think we're doing a service to them, but actually what we're doing is we're lying to them. And it's impossible for you and I to get intimate, for us to really know each other if we're lying about ourselves all the time. That builds distrust, not trust. So boundaries allow us to build these trusting relationships because I'm trusting you to be honest about what's okay with you and what's not okay with you. And you can trust me to tell you what's okay with me and what's not okay with me. I think so often we look at boundaries as I'm choosing me over you. And actually what we're doing is we're making safe space for both of us. I'm choosing something that makes me feel safe and actually can help you feel safer too because you know where the line is. 
and you don't have to wonder or guess or worry that I'm not being completely honest. This is what you get, and you get to decide if you can accept it or if you can't, and both are okay because I know I'm going to take care of my needs. I love the way that Stephanie Lynn describes relationships when we're communicating them to other people. She says, we're basically saying, this is what I need to feel safe in a relationship. I already give these things to myself. If you can't give me these things, that's okay. I will continue to give myself these things, even if it means it has to be away from you. So the way I like to look at boundaries is an invitation to get intimate with us. We communicate what we need in order to feel safe to get naked emotionally with a person. We say, this is what I need in order for me to take off my armor. And they get to choose if that is something they can do or whether that's something they're not capable or able or willing to do. And if they can't, it's okay because you know that you're still able to meet your own needs with or without them. And that's really what we were talking about at the end of the last podcast is wanting someone in your life, but not needing them. Because when we need them, we can't set boundaries. When we need them, we get into codependency. When I want you in my life, but I understand I can meet my own needs if I need to, then I can set boundaries with you. I can tell you what's okay and what's not okay. And you're allowed to say no if you want to. And that's all right because I can trust myself to then meet that need with or without you. If you can't give me safe space, I can go someplace and create safe space for myself. So for instance, in my family, I had a family member once that told me they needed me to call them every single week in order to feel safe in our relationship. And at the time, I had young kids. I had a business. I had lots of things going on. I was homeschooling. I was still active in the church. And I told this family member, I can show up once a month, but I can't show up every week. That's just not something I want to do or that I have time for right now. That feels like a stressor. And because we had done work together, this family member was able to say, okay, I'll find a way to meet my need to talk with somebody every single week and ended up creating a system for themselves that allowed me to be one of the people that met their needs, but not the sole person they were leaning on to meet all of their needs. And so I got to contribute to their feeling of safety and I got to contribute to their feeling of being connected and all of that, but I wasn't the sole person responsible for helping them feel connected and valuable and loved. And because we were both able to communicate that, This person was able to say, I need this. And that need was valid, but that need was not something I could meet 100%. But I was able to say, I can meet 25%. I can can be there once a month. And because we had developed, remember, I told you I had no relationships that were not codependent. Like every single relationship was codependent when I was growing up and throughout my 20s and even through my 30s. So. To be able to develop a relationship where this person could say, this is what I need, and I could receive that and validate that, like, that makes sense to me, that need is valid, I don't think I can meet 100% of that need, but I think I could be there for 25% of it, and for them to say, okay, thank you for that, and I will find the other 75% with other friends and family. 
It's okay if somebody asks us for something and we're not able to meet that need or we're only able to meet part of that need. We can adjust our relationships accordingly. And that's the beauty of boundaries. So knowing that you can meet your need and that you can problem solve and find other ways to meet your need is so helpful. And if someone is just unwilling to respect your boundaries, knowing that you have the power to keep yourself safe, whether that is leaving a room, exiting a conversation, leaving someone's house, or exiting a relationship, if that is what is necessary to keep yourself safe, that you have the power to do that. That if someone says no to your boundary and you feel unsafe, you have the power to create spaces for yourself to give yourself what you need to feel safe. And then last is self-awareness. I am really not sure that our attachment wounds ever fully go away. And so checking in regularly with our feelings and thoughts allows us to recognize where old patterns might be creeping back in or where there are areas of codependency we haven't addressed yet. And when we're doing this, please remember to give yourself patience and empathy as you address these patterns. It has taken a lifetime to create these patterns. These are some of your oldest patterns. Like I said, these patterns are often created when we're younger than three. We don't have verbal memory of this. And so Some of them are very visceral. They're kind of part of the fabric of who we are. And that doesn't mean we can't break the patterns. Those wounds may always be there. They may be scars. And as you're listening to this, you might want to do what I did with Brene's book. When I learned about scars and braving the wilderness, you may want to throw your phone across the room. You know, you may want to just kind of, you know, pause this and not listen anymore. This may be triggering for you hearing that. You may always have attachment wounds. You may always have these scars from your early childhood, but that doesn't have to define your life. If you can be gentle and empathic and curious with yourself, then it is possible to allow this to be part of your story and just to recognize when it crops up. It's usually going to crop up when you're uncertain, when you're afraid, when you feel ashamed. It may crop up when you're in a new circumstance. So often, we heal things with ourselves. So my family lives in Texas. I have family that live in Utah and California, right? My extended family, they live all over the place. And I may heal here in my own home with myself and with my husband and with my kids. We may have our codependency pretty well in check. And during the pandemic, like things may be going good and we're flying high and we feel really good and our patterns are really healthy. And then we go home for Christmas or we go home for the 4th of July or we go to BYU campus where we're triggered with some memories from our early marriage or we may find ourselves at an LDS wedding where we're waiting outside the temple or something like that. Something will happen where the pattern is changed up and maybe different things are pushed like different trauma triggers are pushed that aren't normally pushed in our environment here at home with each other. And so we may have an opportunity to confront those patterns again and to heal them in a different circumstance. So just know if they come up again, it's not because you didn't do the healing. It's just a new opportunity to learn more about yourself and to heal a little bit more. 
And the healing isn't about being worthy of love and belonging. We're already worthy. The healing is just about feeling better and getting more of what we desire from life. If we desire more connection, we want that healthy connection. We heal the codependency patterns. If we want to feel better about ourselves, we heal our self-worth wounds. If we want to get over, you know, the constant anxiety about the church indoctrination and about the things we were taught about hell and the afterlife, and if we want to get over that, then we take time and we heal those indoctrination messages and that mind control that we were put under. We don't heal to be worthy of love and belonging. We're already worthy of love and belonging. We heal so that we can function in a way that feels better for us. And that's it. One last note before we wrap up. I know this has been a really long episode, but if you ever find it hard to accept or validate yourself, can I just say I highly, highly, highly recommend therapy or coaching. Having a professional model for you, a safe, non-judgmental, empathic space to express all of yourself can go such a long way to help you develop these patterns for yourself. If you're listening to this and you're like, but I can't afford a therapist or a coach, that is the whole reason I created the Emancipate Yourself app. I literally have a program that is specifically about reconnecting with yourself holding yourself through your feelings, validating those emotions, giving yourself what you need to feel safe and happy and peaceful. It's all about hearing your limiting beliefs, getting curious with those, learning to work through them. It is about all of those first steps that we just talked about, about healing codependency. And it is so important. And those that are in my course, we have a live group coaching call where I can hold that safe space for you, where you can talk about your feelings, no matter how ugly or embarrassing or shameful you feel like they are, and be met with understanding in an anonymous way, because no one's on video, I can hear your voice, but that is it. You don't have to identify yourself at all if you don't want to, but it gives you that feeling of safety and acceptance and that ability to start really talking about what's going on inside of you and recognizing that there's no judgment, that it's all okay. Your feelings are there for a reason. And just having someone else hold that space for you sometimes at the beginning can go so far to helping you learn to hold that space for yourself so that you can heal these codependent patterns. I could probably go on about this topic for another couple of hours, but I will not do that to you. Thank you so much for joining me today. I cannot wait to talk with you all on the Facebook group, the Emancipate Yourself Facebook group. We are talking, we just got done talking all about scapegoats. This is to heal that scapegoat pattern too, because scapegoatism, when we engage in scapegoatism and we take on that role of being the scapegoat, it is a form of codependency. We're about to talk about golden children, and it is also a different form of codependency, usually born from the same system. So if you identify as the scapegoat or the golden child in your family, please head over to the Facebook page. We've been having some great discussions. We would love to hear your voice and your input. And stay tuned because I will be doing podcasts about both of those topics as well. And 
I just really appreciate you all. I'm so grateful that we're on this journey together. I'm so grateful that you're coming with me over to the Mormon Discussions podcast group and um, look forward to continuing to have our conversations every single Sunday morning. And yeah, this really does light me up each and every week. And I just feel super lucky that I get to do this with all of you. So thank you.